The future of work isn't about shareholder value, technology, innovation, or automation. It's about being human and putting people first through actionable love. Welcome to the Love in Action podcast, where we hold deep conversations with extraordinary people to help you grow as a leader and expand your business. Now, here's your host, Marcel Schwantes. Welcome to another episode of the Love in Action podcast, now heard in 100 countries around the world. So glad you could join us. Whoever you are and wherever you come from, this is the show that's going to help you become the best version of yourself as a leader and a person of extreme positive influence. So on each show, we hold space for deep, real, and purposeful conversations with the most successful thought leaders, executives, experts, and influencers on the planet. And we talk about unleashing the powerhouse principles of love and care that define today's best leaders. I am thrilled that you are here to join the Love in Action movement spreading across the world so that together we can transform our work cultures, create business impact, generate profits, and make the world a better place. Now, before I introduce my distinguished guest, let, let me share something with you. New research shows that gratitude boosts employee engagement, reduces turnover, and leads team members to express more gratitude to one another, which obviously makes teams working together that much stronger. Studies have also shown that gratitude is beneficial for those expressing it. And it's one of the most powerful variables in predicting a person's overall well-being, above money, above health, above optimism. But you know what? Despite the incredible benefits of gratitude, few executives actually use this simple tool. In fact, new research has discovered that people are less likely to express gratitude at work than any place else, which blows my mind because, well, as we know, 70% of employees are disengaged. So this is probably the place where we need gratitude the most. In their new book, Leading with Gratitude, Eight Leadership Practices for Extraordinary Business Results, due to be released on March 3rd, Adrian Gostick and Chester Elton share the gratitude practices that are going to boost your team performance, your engagement, your morale, while reducing your turnover. Well, half of that dynamic duo, Chester Elton joins us today, and he certainly needs no introduction. If there is ever a Mount Rushmore of leadership experts, I would hope to see the busts of both Adrian and, and Chester up there with the likes of John Maxwell, Ken Blanchard, Barry Posner, and Jim Cousins. I'm sending love the, your way right now, Chester, because I, I really believe this is to, to be true. So let me tell you a little bit about Adrian Chester. They have written multiple award-winning New York Times and Wall Street best-selling books, including All In, The Carrot Principle, and The Best Team Wins. Their books have been translated in more than 30 languages around the world, and they have sold more than 1.5 million copies worldwide. And Chester is the co-founder of The Culture Works, a global training firm that counsels the leadership teams of Fortune 500 companies on employee engagement issues. He's appeared on NBC's Today, CNN, ABC, MSNBC, NPR, and CBS's 60 Minutes. This year, Global Guru's research organization ranked him as the number four in the world's top leadership experts and number two in the world's top organizational culture experts. He's also a member of Marshall Goldsmith's 100 Coaches Pay It Forward Project. Woo! Chester, <laughs> what a blast to have you here. <laughs> a delight to be with you too. Wow. And um, right away, we're going to notice what's going on with your voice there. So you want to share a little bit about what, where were you last night? <laughs> so I grew up in Canada. So shout out to all the Canadians out there. Eh? And um, I'm a diehard hockey fan. And my team is the New Jersey Devils. Now, we are not having the best season ever. 
I will tell you though, last night playing the San Jose Sharks, we did win two to one and so screamed our guts out. So if it <laughs> sounds like I've got a bit of a cold, I do. The bigger portion is, you know, when the Devils win, because it's a fairly rare occurrence this year, it really is a big deal. So thanks for asking. <laughs> well, it's funny because that may have been a gratitude moment. We have a ritual here. Well, that's how we start the show. So what makes you smile? And last night you probably made you smile, but what makes you smile when you get up in the morning these days? Well, you know, I, I am married to the most amazing woman ever, uh, Heidi Olson Elton, and we celebrate 37 years of marriage this year. And I am I'm just always inspired by her goodness. You know, my wife has made herself into a wonderful chef. She creates these wonderful meals for our friends and family that come over. This morning, what made me really smile is my nephew, uh, Byron Elton, and his, and his wife Morgan are here. And they have a new four-month-old baby girl. Nice. And, you know, when you have time to spend with family and you have, you know, good food, and you share those stories. I think, you know, what you said about disengagement in the workplace, one, one of my favorite stats is when you're happy and engaged and feel valued at work, you're happy and engaged in your personal life. Mm. And, you know, we, we always say, don't leave your best self at work or leave your best self at home. So having Byron and Morgan come visit, being home after a long trip, uh, you know, speaking at a lot of conferences and having my wonderful wife there. What really makes me smile is I'm a part of an amazing family that value and love me and I value and love them too. That's love. That's, that's awesome. So I want to get right into the research. You surveyed, you and your partner surveyed hundreds of thousands of employees and you found that, simply put, they don't feel appreciated. Give us an idea of how prevalent and how serious is this? Well, you know, the research, and we love our research, by the way. We now have a database of over a million engagement surveys. Mm -hmm. We've also developed our own online assessment about what are people passionate at work. And that's, that's right around 70,000 people. So the, the data was really rich. And, you know, you don't have to look at our data. You can go to the conference board. You can go to, you know, Gallup. You can go to Willis Towers Watson. Their numbers will show you, and you mentioned it in the intro, that over 70% of workers are disengaged or actively disengaged at work. And you have to ask yourself, why? You know, why is it? Well, our work started in reward and recognition. So when we, we talk about an, a highly engaged culture or a culture of what we call a culture of gratitude, it's a work group or an organization or a group of people that we believe feel valued and rewarded when they make a difference. So it's, it's not like, hey, I'm going to throw a, a party and, a, and you know, welcome you to work with a brass band just because you showed up at work, right? I think we have that misconception about gratitude and, and, and recognition. It's, it's, look, you did something really well. And I valued that to the point where I would celebrate with, with you in whatever way is meaningful to you. Does, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I, and, and there's so much psychology behind it. So I want to get into that because I think it's important to understand how something so necessary for basic human interaction is so drastically missing. I don't get it sometimes. So yeah. what's your conclusion as to why managers don't express gratitude? What's really going on here? Well, I think there's a couple of things in play. One is, is that we really don't give our managers, supervisors, leaders, much training to actually be leaders right? We, we say, look, you're a great salesman. We're going to make you head of the sales department, or you're a great researcher. We're going to put you in at the head of R&D. And we don't take the time to really coach them up. You know, and it's, it's really interesting because, you know, I've, I've been around long enough that I remember when executives got a coach, it was like, oh, <laughs> you know, that was, that was the last ditch effort to save her career or his career, right? Now it's really uh, gone 180 and, and they're really excellent organizations. We talk about it in our book, you know, um, WD-40 and American Express and Best Buy and so on. They, they really invest in their high potential leaders. They invest in their current leaders. They give them coaches. They coach them up because here's what's fascinating is when we looked at, at great leaders, what was the difference between the good leader and the extraordinary one? And I'd love your take on this. It was never their hard skills, right? They, they had to know how to get things done. It was always their soft skills, how they communicated, how they painted the picture, how they engaged people. And number one in those soft skills was how they expressed gratitude. Mm. Isn't that fascinating? Now, why don't they do it? Because it's so obvious, right? I, I think it's, it's lack of coaching. 
They want to check off the, the hard stuff. Yeah. Get stuff done. And secondly, I think there's a bit of fear, a bit of fear that they're going to say something wrong, that it won't be politically correct. They'll, they'll, they'll make a misstep. They'll, they'll recognize someone and forget to recognize someone else. And, and that fear of being wrong or being criticized or not doing it quite right, I think is a huge inhibitor. And then I would come back to, and that's why I think it's so important to have a coach. Huh. Okay. I love this, where this is going. Those are myths that we, that we bring with us. Is there like one or two myths that are like so so common in our kind of psyche, in our mindset, that we need to learn to get over the hump? What would be like the top myth that keeps us from experiencing gratitude? Well, I think one of the biggest excuses leaders yeah. use is I don't have time. Yeah, you're asking me to do more for less. We don't have time. And, and it, it is nothing more than an excuse. And by the way, I'm, I'm going to quote my father, <laughs> the, the greatest manager ever, you know, he called me up like two o'clock in the morning. He never figured out that there was a three hour time difference between Vancouver and New York, right? It's two o'clock in the morning. He says, hey, Chess, you got to memorize this. It's just brilliant. It, it, words to live by. I said, okay, dad, what is it? He goes, excuses, even when valid, are never impressive. And I love that. And they said, you know what, Dad? Those are words to live by. It's so easy for us as leaders and managers to make an excuse as to why I can't do something. And this excuse of I don't have time is the one that really drives me crazy. Because, and I've literally had this conversation. Guys, I would do more if I had more time, if I had more resources, if they had a program, you know. I said, great. So let me get this straight. Denise is doing a fabulous job. And you don't have time to go over and tell her she's doing a great job. Said, well, I wish I did. I just don't. Is it great? So she screws up. She makes a mistake. How much time you got for her now? Said, oh, I'm on that in a New York minute. <laughs> because of, so I said, so you really do have the time. You're just not allocating your time appropriately because I got news for you. The more that you uh, find the time and make an intentional to go praise and recognize all the little things that are going well every day. And by the way, it does not take that much time the less likely you're going to have to spend time replacing her because she feels disengaged and leaves. Here's what's great. And again, back to the data, the best leaders that we studied in their work week took about an hour, maybe an hour and a half a week in engaging and praising their employees. 2%, 4% of their week. You know what? We can find 2%. We make excuses because we're a little uncomfortable. Does that resonate with you? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Okay, so I, I think that uh, this is when we need to have stories to kind of kind of help <laughs> help us to cement this into our, our brains. And we love stories here at Love and Action. And you tell some compelling stories of how some big-time CEOs of companies we're familiar with, I'm, I'm going to let you pick one, um, have incorporated gratitude into, into their leadership styles. I'd love to hear one of them, how they did it. Well, Uber Jolie, you know, the guy that turned around Best Buy. I mean, he, he takes over their billion dollars in, in debt. You know, he just became the chairman and turned the CEO responsibilities over to a woman he's mentoring. Now they're a billion dollars in the black. And you go, okay, so how did you do that? He says, you know, it, very simple. I don't do a good French accent. He's got a beautiful French accent, by the way. Anyway, he said, you know, it's all about people and giving people purpose in their work. He said, you know, I may be naive. I just assume that everybody comes to work wanting to do a good job. And in trying to do a good job, they make mistakes. And you know what? That's okay. We can fix the mistakes and move on. He's got a philosophy he calls assume positive intent. He says, you know, that may seem Pollyanna, it may seem naive. It's not. People show up and they want to do a good job. Now, if you assume that there are people that have negative intent, it creates a really friction-filled workplace. So when people make a mistake, what you do as a leader is you demonize the employee and you victimize yourself. Mm. Now, let me explain how that works. So they made a mistake. How could you do this to me, right? All of a sudden, it's all about us. And it's not. It's just an employee trying to do a good job. We had a wonderful example of a, of a, a consultant. And uh, she had this awakening, this, this uh, moment of awakening. And you'll love this story. So, you know, she bought and sold a lot of different companies. Her name is uh, Lynn Carnes. And she'd become an executive coach. Well, in her job, she had to travel quite a bit. 
And those of us that travel a lot, we make sure we've signed up for every possible, you know, program that will get you through security faster, right? Your global entry, your TSA, your clear, you know, they're scanning your eyeballs, you know, they're sampling your blood, whatever it is, I don't want to wait in line. So she says, I'm in the expert traveler line, getting to my gate busy businesswoman, right? And Lynn says, and I look at the front and there's a woman with a baby and a stroller and all the stuff. And I'm thinking, she is not an expert traveler. How could she do this to me, taking up my precious time getting through security? And then something happened that changed everything for her in a a heartbeat. She said, here she is struggling with a, a little baby in one arm, trying to get everything through. And then To not hold up the line, she took her baby and put this baby on the dirty floor at the airport. Well, Lynn's a mother. And she said, at that moment, it occurred to me that to try to accommodate me, she put the most precious thing in her life on this filthy floor and everything changed. She goes, I left my bags. I went over. I said, can I help you get through the line? Can I at least hold your child? And she said, in that moment, she wasn't, you know, trying to make my life miserable. She was just a harried mother trying to get through security like everybody else. Isn't that a wonderful moment Mm -hmm. of self-actualization? I love it. I love it. So you touched a little bit on assume positive intent, which is one of the the eight, right, principles that you and uh, Adrian talk about, the the gratitude practices. But before we get into that, I, you know, there's a lot of skeptics on, on the show here that listen uh, so they can nitpick all the things that are wrong with, uh, you know, soft skills and why things that are perceived as fuzzy and too soft won't work for their environment. So for the skeptics who might say, hey, leading with gratitude, hey, that doesn't work for me. It's too soft. Or the environment that, are, that I'm in, it's not conducive to gratitude. What would, you, what would you say to people like that? Well, first off, the soft stuff is the hard stuff. You know, make no doubt about it. The, the soft stuff is the hard stuff because you've got to deal with people. And people are difficult and they're, they're different and they come from all kinds of different backgrounds and so on. And the, and the really extraordinary leaders, they find the time to get to know their people and, 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 and tailor, you know, the work experience to different people. And, I, and I'll give you a perfect example. You want to talk about a tough environment. You know, Alan Mulally, who I know is one of our mutual heroes, got to spend a lot of time with Alan in this, in this book and interview you know, how he led with gratitude. Here's a guy that's taking over Ford Motor Company that is on the brink of bankruptcy. It's one of the iconic brands in America, right? And it's about to go under. And they bring in Alan to turn things around. You know what his first principle of highly engaged, highly productive companies, organizations, teams, you know, the number one thing he talks about, he says, it's all about your people. Love them up. Mm. Love them up. And you got to hear Alan say it because he's just, you know, this Indiana kid, right? Love them up. He says, now that is not being soft. If, if you read his book, American Icon, actually the book written about him, he'll say, you know, people talk about him and say, oh, he's, you know, he's, he's got this impish smile. He's this, you know, he's a hugger. He says, make no mistake about it. He is not soft. He has a spine of titanium. Huh. The fact is, is that Leading with gratitude doesn't mean letting people get away with stuff. Quite the contrary. It's about having great conversations, putting people in a position to to succeed. And when they succeed, reinforcing that great behavior with simple thank yous. I'll tell you a great story about Alan. So they're launching the new Taurus, right? And this was this is the car that really helped turn Ford around at the time. So they're at the auto show. And if you've ever been to an auto show, you know, they've got the cars on the turnstiles and they're all polished and they look just immaculate, right? So do you know who he brought up on the stage for people to appreciate and to really say, look, a lot goes into building a car. There's a couple of people that I want to just bring up on stage and and I want you to give them a round of applause. Do you know who it was? It was the guys that cleaned the car for the car show. I mean, you know, you, you got to love that about Alan. You know, he could have brought out the engineers, the designers, and so on. He said, you know what? It takes a lot to build a car. You know what? These two guys spent all night polishing every inch of this car to make it. Doesn't it look fabulous? Give it up for the, for the car polishers. Are you kidding me? How great is that? <laughs> and it. the auto industry, is that a soft industry? Absolutely not. No. Did it work? It's one of the great comeback stories of all time. Mm, mm. Okay, so part two of the book you frame around these eight 
powerful gratitude practices. So for the sake of time, I chose five of them. And uh, so, and the reason that the reason that these that I chose these is because I think that well, you listeners out there right now, if you're in a leadership or management role, it's something you should put into practice. Make it a habit. Do this every day and watch things drastically improve in how you lead people. So, you ready to unpack some of these, Chester? Let's go for it. I'm let's, ready. let's let's start right off the top with assume positive intent. Well, we talked about that with Hebert Jolie, assume positive intent. And, you know, another leader that we highlighted uh, who does this brilliantly is, is Gary Ridge, the CEO of WD-40. I, I believe you've interviewed Gary, one of the happiest guys on the planet, by the way. And what I love about Gary is he says, you know, we don't make mistakes at WD-40. We have learning opportunities. So here's your skill testing question. I know you've got a can of WD-40 in your home. Everybody does, right? That blue right. and yellow, it's the iconic can. What does WD-40 stand for? I knew you were going to put me on the spot, and um, I don't have time to Google it, so I'm going to take my best shot at it. Water <laughs> displacement 40th formula. <laughs> yeah, you're exactly right. I do have the sense that you did Google it. Anyway, <laughs> my, my point is, is that when you think about assuming positive intent, it's built into their name. So water displacement 40th formula. These guys were mixing this formula in a bathtub, and it was the 40th try that, that got it just right. So Gary says, look, were those 39 previous attempts, were those mistakes? Absolutely not. Those were 39 learning opportunities to finally get it right. He says, in our culture, we have a tribe. And in a tribe, you look out for each other. You protect each other. You build each other up. You cheer for each other. So when we make mistakes at WD-40, we learn from those mistakes and we move on. And what I love about that is think of what the opposite of that culture is, where when you make a mistake, you're punished. Well, in that culture, when you make a mistake, your first reaction is to what? Hide it. Hope that it doesn't surface, right? Hope that nobody notices. That is not a healthy culture. Healthy cultures, look, I made a mistake. Can you help me fix it? Let's learn from it and move on. And, you know, Gary's success, you want to talk about skeptics. Here's a guy that takes over, you know, a very mature product and industry. When he took over, they were $280 million. Now they're $2.8 billion. So for you skeptics out there, if you don't want to grow exponentially, if you don't want highly engaged employees that are, you know, really innovative and open and honest, you're right. You should never assume positive intent or lead with gratitude. Just yeah. do what you're doing until you're obsolete and, 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 you know, out of business. Okay. The next practice is walk in their shoes. I love this one. You know, often we, we get complaints from people we survey and so on say, look, my boss gives me goals and stuff. They're just absolutely unattainable because they have no clue what it is I do. Mm. Right. So Britt Barrett, this uh, amazing leader of hospitals in Texas, in Dallas, and, and on, he now teaches at the University of Texas, you know, Hook'em Horns. He, um, he said, look, what I do is I take my executives and I make them, you know, sit in a wheelchair, be a patient, go through the check-in process, you know, find radiology. Like, I don't know if you've been to a hospital lately. Hospitals, I mean, they are confusing places, right? They are not, it's not easy to find where you're going. And because he did that, they had all kinds of innovations, you know. They started to put signage lower to where people can see it when they're in a wheelchair. They made hallways a little wider. They made their signage uh, easier. They, they trained their employees to actually escort people to the departments and so on. So that when they say, hey, we got to speed up the check-in process, they know exactly what that means because they've walked in their shoes. Isn't that brilliant? Mm. Hmm. This one I really love. This spoke to me. Look for small wins. Yeah, yeah. You know, so often, you know, the demanding leader, right, is uh, you, you'll, you'll have some success. You'll close a deal or whatever it is. And, and now you're 30% to quota. And they'll say, that's great. When we get to 100%, we'll celebrate, right? <laughs> that's great. You know, what, what else you got? You know, and we don't take that pause to say, you know what, good for you, man. We're at 30%. We're ahead of schedule. Yeah. Those little milestones along the way. And let me share with you a personal story that I hope everybody can relate to. You know, if you've had kids and they've enrolled in like soccer or lacrosse or hockey, whatever it is, ask yourself, when you show up to those games, do you reserve your cheering for the final score? Right? Do you say, look, I know you scored a goal. Great. Game's not over. 
right? When the buzzer sounds, if we've won, we'll celebrate. Absolutely not. I'll tell you a cute story of my son, Garrett. In, in our town, lacrosse is a big deal. So uh, I'm traveling, and you know, I call him the other day. Hey, how are you doing? How are you doing? Garrett had had a game. I said, hey, buddy, how was the game? He goes, oh, Dad, we won. I go, that is awesome. Did you score a goal? He goes, ah, uh, no. I said, oh, well, you know, did you assist, you know, pass the ball to somebody scored the goal? He goes, um, no. I said, oh, well, did you touch the ball <laughs> during the game? He goes, four times. They go, that's my boy. Good for you, buddy. <laughs> you know, celebrate the small wins. Well, it translates perfectly to the workplace. Little things that are going right every day. And I, I know we're pressed for time. I want to tell you one great, this is a best practice all the listeners can use. Um, Carlos Aguilera works for Avis Budget Rental Car in Dallas. And he said, I grew up in a culture where they were quick to criticize, slow to recognize. So I realized that there's a lot of little things that happen that are good every day. To remind myself, I put 10 coins in my left pocket every day. And I set a goal to have 10 positive interactions. And the way I keep track is I move a penny from my left pocket to my right pocket. So he's texting people. He's writing little notes. He's doing blast emails and having team meetings and he's pulling somebody out. Well, how do you think his people react to him when he shows up? It's very positive. Do you think he's asked to have tough conversations? Absolutely he does. Do you think his people are open to his coaching? You bet, because he's not just there to point out all the little things they're doing wrong. He's there to reinforce all the little things they're doing right so that when something goes wrong, he can, he can coach him up. Isn't that a brilliant little, oh. little, little trigger? Yeah, I love that. Uh, you know, I interviewed uh, Doug, Doug Conant, formerly of uh, Campbell Soup Company, right? And he- Brilliant leader. Yeah, he, he wrote thank you notes to his employees and they assessed that by the end of his tenure as CEO, he had written up to 30,000 thank you notes. These were handwritten notes, not emails or texts. So, Yeah, and you know what? Here's a tip for your leaders. You think, okay, well, when is the right time to give recognition? The great thing about a handwritten note is it's always timely because the recipient finds the right moment to open it and read it. Hmm. Isn't that interesting? Yes. A handwritten, and by the way, nobody does it anymore. So when they get it, that simple work of the hand becomes really precious. Yeah, yeah. Okay, how about this one? Taylor feedback. Yeah, we've got a great personal story in the book about this, by the way. You know, uh, recognition means different things to different people. And that's where you've got to really know your people, what's appropriate. So Adrian and I were working for this recognition company. It was a great company. We spent a lot of time there. It was where we started to write our books. And we published a book to become a New York Times bestseller. It was The Care Principle. And I, I went to our leadership and I said, you know what? This has really been a boon to our salespeople. We've got the big sales conference coming up. Let's give some recognition to Adrian and to me. We're co-authors. And at the time, Men in Black was the big movie. So this company, recognition company, we got, you know, watches and we got them direct and everything. So we got that really cool black Delta, you know, men in black watch. And I said, call us up in front and recognize and give us these cool watches. It'll be a great night. Adrian will get to meet our salespeople from all over the planet. It'll be a great meal. It's entertainment. It's really social. It's really fun. I said, this will be perfect. Well, what I was doing is I was projecting me onto Adrian. Like, I love hanging out with Seth. I grew up with Seth. I love watches, right? I love the events. I love meeting new people and everything. Adrian, it's, it's almost the last place on the planet he wanted to be, right? He, he'd, he'd rather be at home with his family. And a watch, well, he doesn't wear a watch, so let's get him a nice watch. The reason he doesn't wear a watch is because he doesn't like watches, <laughs> You know, and all this. So it was a complete disaster, right? In fact, if you go to Adrian's house, he's still got that watch in pristine condition in the original box. I, don't, I doubt he's ever worn it. So as leaders, we got to be careful that we don't, you know, project. Another a classic a manager told me, he says, guy got a job. And I thought, this is awesome. I'm going to send his, he and his wife this big, you know, uh, bottle of champagne so they can celebrate. Well, the guy was in AA. You know, he just, and the intent was great. The execution was really flawed. So I tell these stories to say, look, find out what your people are really motivated by. Is it time with their families? Do they want an extra assignment to maybe develop a new product? Do they want more exposure to the customers or whatever? It doesn't take a lot of time. Do your homework up front. And then when you express that gratitude, it's so meaningful because the message is, not only do I love what you did and I want to celebrate it, I want to celebrate it in a way that really will be meaningful to you, to your family, 
and help you with your career. I know it sounds simple. We make those mistakes all the time. I'm sure you've got stories. Oh my goodness. Of the same. The last one I want you to cover is, is making gratitude peer to peer. Talk about that. Well, you know, when you talk about a culture, a culture isn't just top down. And so often when we talk about leading with gratitude, you know, managers have the misconception that it's all up to them. You know, that I've got to see everything. I've got to praise everything. And that's another excuse. It it can be exhausting because you're never going to see everything, right? Where cultures get really good and you get a culture of gratitude is when you get that peer-to-peer recognition. You know, Carlos Aguilera, where everybody's got 10 pennies in their pocket, not just the manager right? Where people will, will step up. I'll tell you who does this really well. I just spent some time with him up in Toronto is Bill Manning. Bill Manning is the president of Toronto Football Club, the MLS club. He was also the president of Real Salt Lake. Phenomenal success. Both organizations have, have won championships while he's there. And what he does is a really interesting thing. When he brings his staff together, he'll call up somebody out of his staff and say, this is your moment to recognize someone who's helped you. So it's not recognition for the person he's pulling up. And he tells this great story. So he calls up and we'll, you know, just use random names. He says, uh, Carl, come on up. This is your opportunity to recognize somebody. And by the way, they gave him a really nice gift card to a local store. Right? And Carl gets up and he says, I want to recognize Sam. Sam has just really helped me. He was in accounting, helped me get through that, you know, the season ticket, all their stuff and everything. Come on up, Sam. Sam comes up and says, Thank you so much. You know what? I've been waiting for six months to recognize Denise. So I'm going to take my card. Denise, come on up. I mean, that's when you know it's good, right? When employees are recognizing employees, they're actually giving up their awards to other people in the organization. And and I think, you know, that simple little thing, give people the opportunity to recognize each other. And and that, you know, who doesn't want to work there, right? Who doesn't want to work in a culture like that? Yeah. Yeah. And it's contagious, Chester. It spreads like fire when you do that. You know what? Um, Becky Douglas, we tell a great story. She supports these uh, leper colonies in India. One of my favorite quotes in the book is she said, gratitude attracts gratitude. Mm-hmm. And it really is true. When, when people feel valued, they want to be around those people that value them. And in turn, they want to value others. This is a really important leadership principle. And I want to make sure it comes out loud and clear. The way you act as a leader gives everybody on your team permission to act the same way. If you express gratitude and you do it the right way, you tailor it to the person, right? You're specific in your praise. You you do it often. It gives everyone else permission to do the same. If you withhold gratitude and praise, that gives them permission to do the same. Isn't that fascinating? Yeah. Because they want to be a leader. And they're going to watch you. And the way you behave is the way they will behave. So there's responsibility there. If you want it to be peer-to-peer, model that right behavior. It gives people permission. Right. Speaking of modeling the right behaviors, we have a a ritual here where we ask our guests to kind of expound on love and fear. (laughs) And, you know, and, and, and I thought, well, this aligns so well with the research that you and Adrian have done. So let's talk about fear for a minute here. Why do you think fear is so prevalent in how businesses are still managed? I mean, we're in 2020 here and fear is still kind of the way of the land and how uh, leaders lead through the iron fist. They're autocratic, top-down command and control. But we have this mountain of research that you guys have written over the course of many, many books that shows that the principles of love and care and now gratitude the evidence is overwhelming that those things lead to high performance results and business impact. What's really going on here with fear? You know, uh, our research showed that a lot of managers that are leading by fear don't realize they're managing by fear. They just said, I'm being really honest and open and transparent. And in being honest and open and transparent, I'm going to let you know, if we don't hit our quota, I can't guarantee your job. <laughs> that, by the way, that's not just fear, that's terror, right? So the numbers again, you know, we, we, we looked at the numbers and just over 30% said, yes, I will work harder if I, f- I fear for my job. A, a little higher than 30% said, I, I would, uh, I would uh, work harder when I have a manager that's really demanding. Get this, 83% said they would work harder for a leader that values and appreciates them. Wow. So, yeah. And so I think that sometimes there is this misconception that, again, I'm going to be soft if I 
express gratitude, people will take advantage of me. So I've got to be tough on people. And that's going to spur more production when it's absolutely the opposite. Isn't that funny? Mm. I forget who told me uh, a few podcasts back. It may have been Howard Behar or Ken Blanchard, but uh, I asked the same question. Why is it that uh, so many managers lead through fear? And, and I heard something I did not expect, and I've been processing that since. And they said, he said it was shame, that we are seeped in shame, in our own shame. Maybe it's uh, the imposter syndrome. It is, this fear that we'll be discovered that we're not as as good a leader right and we have this idea that we have to be the smartest person in the room that our mandates are always perfect we never make a mistake and so on. and it is it's that fear of being discovered whereas when you really open up to your people and you ask for their help and you express sincere gratitude everything everything else gets better it's a common and and, and again i i come back to look i think this is where having a mentor having a coach is really helpful because I think over time you learn as a leader that what you thought was really impactful and really important in the long run really isn't, that people really do matter. And those relationships as they grow deep, and you mentioned love, it's not a word that we use in the workplace uh, very often or feel comfortable using. I will tell you though, that if you think of the, the best leaders you work for, you did love them. And, and the reason you love them is because you knew they loved you too. They cared about you. They, they, they were cheering for you. Mm-hmm. What are the effects of fear on your relationships with your employees? I mean, what does fear do to those you lead? It, it, I think it's paralyzing because when you're afraid, you're afraid to make a mistake. You know, you're, <laughs> you micromanage yourself. You're very careful. You're not innovative. You're, you're not taking appropriate risks. I think it's paralyzing. You know, you're, you stay in your safe place. I had a friend working for a company as a salesman, and he said, look, everything has changed here. It's all command and control. He goes, the way to survive in this company is just keep your head down, do your job, and hope they don't notice you. Hmm. What kind of a job is that? Hmm. Who wants that? And, and it absolutely translates into your personal life. You know, if you are miserable at work, trust me, you're going to take that misery home. And we've all had that job, right? Where we hated to go to it in the morning. And when we came home at the end of the day, we made sure we shared that misery with everybody in our family, right? And when they were tired of hearing it from it, we went out back and, you know, kicked the cat. Um, I'm kidding, because you can never catch a cat. The point is, is that, again, this love and, and fear is when you love your job and you come home, how different is that? And how different is it? That ripple effect. You know, at the end of the book, we, we have a section that says, take it home. Don't leave your best self at work. Don't leave your best self at home. Just be your best self. That's why I love your podcast because this isn't just how to be a, a more productive leader. This is how to be, or a happier leader, or have a happy, it's how to be more productive and happy just in your life. Yeah. It's just a better way to, assuming positive intent is a better way to live, not just manage. Right. And that's why I really appreciate, you know, guys like you that get the message out. Mm, Thank you. So I'm going to put this to rest before I transition to my next question. But I want to know, how do we go from fear to love personally as a leader in in your one on one interactions and then organizationally as in your culture? I mean, is there a first step? Yeah, just start. You know, this is a Nike commercial. Just do it. And one of the things that I love about our books is we always give you, you know, tips and things you can do tomorrow, right? Put 10 pennies in your pocket, right? 10 coins, wherever you are in the world, right? Canada doesn't have pennies anymore, by the way. So they get them. Anyway, um, write, start writing thank you notes, write three weeks for three weeks. Uh, Dave Kirkman, a good friend of mine in New York, is a wonderful practice where he, he'll send out random texts. I, I just did this at a conference in Las Vegas this week. I said, look, I'm going to do something that no speaker from the stage ever says. I want you to all pull out your phones and turn them on. <laughs> and I want you to text somebody that you know and love. Say, look, I'm at this great conference in Las Vegas. I want to let you know I'm thinking about you, how much I love you, and I hope you're having a great day. And so as we did the book signing later, it was really cute. This woman comes up to me and she says, uh, I want to show you what happened. I texted my daughter at university. And she texted me back, I love you too, mom. I said, well, isn't that sweet? She goes, you don't understand. She never says, I love you. The fact that she took the time, it meant the world to me. And she got kind of teary-eyed. 
And, and then on the humorous side, a guy comes up and he says, by the way, thanks for that challenge. I sent that to my wife. I said, really? What was her response? She said, what have you done? What are you? <laughs> He's in Las Vegas, right? So to the managers that have fear, you know, just start doing it. And at first, people may think it's a little disingenuous. The more you do it, the better you'll get. Start spending some time with your people. Just start doing it. The more you do, the better you'll get. The more you'll write more meaningful thank you notes. You'll send out more texts. I know there's a fear about they'll think I'm, I'm disingenuous, they'll think I'm bogus. If you're specific, you do it often, and you put that fear to rest. Trust me, bit by bit, you'll develop that trust, and you'll just create a better place to work. Is that, is that helpful? Oh, absolutely. And I, I've talked, I've brought on maybe two or three uh, neuroscientists and they talk about the brain and how you have to, to make things habitual, you have to just do it over and over until it becomes second nature. Yeah. Practice makes perfect, right? No, nobody's good at anything right away. You know, when was the last time you said, I think I'll pick up tennis and you picked up rings. You know what? I was really good right away. It never happens. You need a coach, you need people to encourage you and you need to, to, to take the time. You need to you know, find, be intentional. Chester, you often talk about culture in a lot of your speaking and your writing and how culture is one of those few differentiators we have left, the other one being, you know, good leadership. So what's your definition of a high-performance culture? Well, a, a place where we believe what we do matters and we make a difference. And when we make a difference, it's noticed and celebrated right? I, I love that connect the dots, you know, and Alan Mulally connecting the dots between the guys that polish the cars to the guys that design the cars to the guys that are selling the cars. Yeah. You, you know what I mean? So this, this whole idea of connecting the dots and, and great leaders do that. They make sure that everybody in the team understands that even though you may be doing the invoices in the back office, that's a critical part of making sure that our patients get the right care in our hospital, however that is. And, and I, I love that definition. I believe what I do matters, this sense of belief. I make a difference. I come to work and I make a difference every day. And when I make a difference, somebody noticed it and said, thank you. But to mm. me, it really is that simple. I absolutely love how you and Adrian end the book by framing it around taking gratitude home with us. You touched on this earlier. I believe we have to model this for future generations of children growing up, and it starts with our own kids and families. So every night, you know what I do? I ask my six-year-old, Joseph, what is one thing you are thankful for today? And I'm training him, training his little brain to activate gratitude. So let me ask you this. Can you share a few practical things we can do to kind of live a grateful life in our homes and, and really teach our kids to do the same? Absolutely. You know, one of the most gratifying things about writing this book, and by the way, for us emotionally and, you know, in our business, all the research we've done for the last 20 years, this book was absolutely transformational for us because every great leader that we interviewed, you know, it was wonderful. They all expressed deep gratitude in their personal lives. Mm -hmm. It wasn't something they just did at work. I'll give you a great example. So Dave Kirpin, I've mentioned him before marketing genius in New York, right? Like likable media. Look him up. He's amazing. He says, you know, when I'm having a bad day at work, what I'll do is I'll set my timer for two minutes. I'll open my notes and I just start typing in all the names of all the people that mean so much to me. He says at the end of two minutes, I feel great. So that's what he does at work. So he's got two kids, you know, like you, you got your little six-year-old. He says, we would have dinner as often as we could as a family. And the conversation was always the same. How was school? Good. You know, what did you learn? Nothing, you know, <laughs> kids. He says, so we changed the dynamic. He says, when you come to dinner, you've got to have answer three questions. One is like you do with your six-year-old. What was the best part of your day? Two, who are you grateful for today that's not at the dinner table? And three, who are you grateful for at the dinner table that hasn't been thanked yet? Mm. And he said, it changed everything. He says, and I knew the kids were really buying in when they'd bring a friend to dinner and they'd say, okay, now look, you can have to answer three questions, okay? <laughs> and make sure you have good answers. <laughs> Another br brilliant practice, uh, a friend of ours at, at Novartis, uh, uh, Amit, he says, you know, uh, we keep a gratitude journal as a family. And at the end of the day, we'll write down three or four things we're grateful for. When we're on a trip, we'll put in a little picture of the family, you know, at the beach or at the park or whatever it might be. And he says, to, to, to your point, we're training our kids at the end of the day to say, you know what? We've got to remember how grateful we are, how lucky we are. 
We've got families that love us. We've got clean water. We're safe. We don't have to worry about our food for, you know, for, the, next, for the next day. And this idea of starting a gratitude journal. You know, University of California did a fabulous study. Said people that write gratitude journals at the end of the day or the beginning of the day sleep better, stress levels are lower, they have deeper relationships. And for me personally, my wife and I have this great ritual. Um, at the end of the day, wherever I'm traveling, you know, we, we connect and I'll say, Honey, what are your three? And she'll say, What are your three? And it's just such a lovely way to end the day because I love telling people when we speak at conferences, we're doing training, I said, You know what? You understand how, how privileged we are and how lucky we are. 99% of the world would trade places with you and me, Marcel, in a heartbeat. Mm. In a heartbeat. You know, let's, let's be grateful and let's pass that on. Mm-hmm. And one of my favorite best practices is a random act of kindness once a day. Mm. Just do a little something, you know, with, and it could be simple, just holding the door you know, picking up uh, a baby on a dirty floor so the mother can get through security, right? Writing a note to a friend, sending a little text. You know, one of my favorite things when I get up in the morning, if I woke up on the wrong side of the bed, I've, we've got four kids and I'll send each one of them a little text. Say, you know what? Your dad's thinking about you. Hoping you're having a great day. Know that you're amazing. And then I'm always cheering for you. Love dad. And you know what? They always respond. And if that doesn't make your day a little better, I don't know what does. Is that helpful? Absolutely helpful. And it's been such a delight to talk to you. We bring it home with two questions. Personally, what's really tugging at your heart right now that you would like our listeners to know? Well, two things. You know, my wife and I get involved in a lot of good works. And one of them that's really near and dear to my heart is Camp Corral. Golden Corral has established 23 relationships with summer camps over the summer. And what they do is they raise money so that they can send the kids of wounded warriors to a camp for seven days for free. And it's lovely. They they talk about wounded, ill, injured, or fallen warriors. And these kids, you know, they grow up fast and they can go to these camps and they have other kids like them and they can have a support system. You know, so often we forget that one of the reasons we're safe is because there are people out there doing really hard things and literally putting their lives on the line. And when they make those sacrifices, how can we give back? So Camp Corral is always really near and dear to to my heart. And another one is a a fabulous organization called Mentors International. They're in uh, almost a dozen countries now, and they make these microloans to the poorest of the poor. And my wife and I have gone on these trips, and we were recently in the Dominican Republic. And we went into these neighborhoods where where people have almost nothing. And you make this microloan so they can get a sewing machine to start a little business or a refrigerator so they can sell cold drinks as for, as, instead of hot drinks. And the, the, the gratitude that they express and the way they take care of their kids in, in situations where you and I would say they have nothing and where you, where you really understand the power of gratitude and how gratitude attracts gratitude is that when you see their their joy in their families and the little that they have and how freely they give it to others, you realize that gratitude has nothing to do with your circumstances and everything to do with your heart. You know, we get caught up in first world issues. I'll be happy when. I'll be happy when I get a raise, when I've got a little nicer car, a bigger house, whatever it might be. You know what? Everybody on the planet, we've got one thing in common. We all want to be happy. We all want to be happy. And little random acts of kindness, little expressions of gratitude keep us on that path that, you know what? Be kind to everybody. Everybody's having a tough day. And you can make a difference every day in simple acts of kindness and really realizing how privileged and how blessed you really are. How can we not share that? Well, that's my sermon. and I'm sticking Mm. to it. Can I get an amen? Yeah. Mm, amen to that. And so big shout, shout out to Camp Corral and Mentor International, right? Mentors International. Mentors yeah. International. I'm going to have those two uh, places as resources in my show notes on the website. So look for that, listeners. Finally, you end it your way with one takeaway of everything we talked about or even everything about your book. What's that one thing we can walk away with that's going to make a difference in our lives? You know, I think it's just, you know, that 
simple acts of gratitude every day make a huge difference. You know, I think with the online stuff, we've never been more connected and yet we've never been more isolated. And it's so easy to send out that nasty tweet or post that horrible photo of, to try to embarrass someone on Facebook. Let's, let's reverse that. Let's be kind. You know, I'm often asked, how, do you, how would you sum up your book? What would the advice would you give to leaders? And I said, you know what, for me, and I know it sounds soft, it's two words, be kind. Just be kind. Realize that everybody you meet, nine out of 10 people, they got something going on. Everybody's having a tough day. Little random acts of kindness. You know, be kind. Your day will be better. Their day will be better. Simple as that. Excellent. I want to send some traffic your way. How can our listeners connect with you? Where do they go? And tell us about those gratitude socks. <laughs> yes. Well, you know, to thank you for being on the show. We've, we've got a great promotion in March at the airport. So look out for it. It's got a poster that says, buy this book, it'll knock your socks off. And then we've got, uh, you know, the little symbol on the, on the book is a little smiley face. And we've got these smiley face. I'm going to mail you a pair of these, Marcel. Perfect. Uh, you can look us up in uh, thecultureworks.com. It's a great website for our training company. We've got a wonderful website for the book called leadingwithgratitudebook.com. Some of the interviews Reviews we did with people in the book are in there. Uh, free little downloads of clips around the myths, around what we call the gratitude labs, the best practices. The foreword written by our dear friend Marshall Goldsmith is, is really heartwarming. I would encourage you to download that and read it. And if you like everything you see, please go to Amazon, go to wherever it is you get your books, buy a book for yourself and buy a book for a friend. Because I'm telling you, we really need to create a movement of leading with gratitude, not just in our country, in the world. The world needs more gratitude. There's no doubt about it. It's been an honor. And I'm going to say it right now. This has been one of the most fun interviews I've had. So thank, oh, thank you for you. joining us today. Well, I'm grateful for your work. I really am. And I did my research on you as well. And your message of positivity and, and coaching people up. We need a thousand more Marcells. I'm telling you that right now. So I'm grateful for the work you do for being a guest on your show. I appreciate that. I loved having that conversation with Chester. So recapping, it's pretty simple that gratitude is a difference maker, but how many of us are willing to get this hardwired into our brain so that we're practicing it in our everyday routine? Because showing gratitude to our employees is it's the easiest, fastest, and most inexpensive way to boost their performance, reduce turnover, and connect people to do great work together. Thank you again for being a part of the Love in Action movement. My special thanks to Chester Elton for his wisdom. Next week, I sit down and chat with Anchor Gopal, CEO of Interrupt. You're going to love that conversation. Anchor is going to share his story of how he leads through love in action by targeting the unemployed and underemployed to work for his high-tech company. On behalf of my production team at One Stone Creative, check them out for your own podcasting needs. We'll catch you next week. And until then, don't forget, love in action. It's what will truly set your leadership apart. The choice is yours. Hey, Love in Action Nation. If you're enjoying the format of the show and the topics we talk about, and you want to bring this conversation to your company event or conference, I would love to explore the possibilities. Whether it's speaking or moderating a live discussion or a Q&A panel, or even producing a series of podcasts before and after your event, let's talk. You can reach me by email personally at Marcel at loveinaction.club. That's Marcel, M-A-R-C-E-L at loveinaction.club.